Hello and welcome to Irrational Passion's article read for our best of list. For this edition, George Cruz, which is me, will be reading the piece Lost Oddities Discovering Deadly Premonition, written by myself and originally published in May 11th, 2017. After the read, I will be joined by one Logan Wilkinson, senior editor, for a discussion. I finally got to see the real rainy woods. I first encountered deadly premonition when I was a high schooler with no income of my own. When you're put in that situation, you're browsing for games around 1999 and under. I think this might be where my interest in forgotten games, at least partially, stems from, because I became intimately familiar with them when I was young. While folks in 2009 were playing Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2, I was experiencing cameo elements of power for the first time. The way I first heard of Deadly Premonition sticks out in my mind because at the time it launched at retail, it was 1999, which was pretty unheard of. A budget title for 20 bucks wasn't odd in the generation before the Xbox 360, PlayStation 3, and Wii. In 2010, the same year Midway Games filed for bankruptcy and three years from the closure of THQ, a bottom-tier game, let alone a middle-tier game, was a rarity. Yet even at that price, I for some reason never got around to it. I certainly could not have predicted how strangely significant that game would be to the culture of video games, propelling its director out of obscurity, becoming a popular game to play through among streamers and content creators, and being awarded the unique distinction of most critically polarizing survival horror game in the 2012 publishing of the Guinness World Records, Gamers Edition. This budget title made an impact, which is why I struggled even considering it for this column. It has this reputation that kind of doesn't follow the loose guidelines of what this column sets out to do, that being to discuss obscure or older games in the context of today, while also considering the context in which they were originally made. But I also believe that we probably exist in the one reality where Deadly Premonition became a landmark, and it undeniably has the spirit of a lost oddity. So, seven years after it's made its name known, I have finally gotten around to playing Deadly Premonition. I'm happy to report that it's still an equally fascinating and frustrating game. For those uninformed, Deadly Premonition presents players with two mysteries as they embody FBI Special Agent Francis York Morgan. Or York, that's what everyone calls him. On his visit to Greenvale, a fictional small town in the rainy Washington woods. The first mystery is the one clearly presented to you through the narrative. One revolving a murdered young woman by the name of Anne Graham. She is the latest death in what appears to be a set of serial killings that are connected by the red tree seeds left at the crime scenes. In order to solve this mystery, you need to get to know the town and its residents, help York ask the right questions, and guide him as he traverses sudden, inexplicable encounters with zombie-like creatures throughout the game. It's a simple pitch, but underneath that setup are stacked layers of strangeness that lead to the second mystery of the game. What really even is Deadly Premonition? Deadly Premonition's personality offers a lot to unpack, and York is at the heart of what gives this game its identity. York is unorthodox. He's a nice guy who does a good job, but you might be thrown off the first time you meet him and his imaginary friend, Zack, 
As I discussed the cultural significance of the 1978 film, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, while you drive to the scene of a crime. And yes, he has an imaginary friend named Zack. There's also the moments where he interjects serious conversations with his opinions on pastries and brings down the casual conversations with his personal list of top three most gruesome crime scenes. And there's so much more. There's the woman who carries around a stovetop pot wherever she goes around, or the wealthy bachelor at the center of the investigation who wears a creepy gas mask and eats turkey sandwiches smothered in jelly. All of this isn't peppered throughout for the sake of being random. It's here to add to the mystery and keep players asking questions. And of course it makes the relationships the player in York build with characters that much more engrossing. That's not to say every character is perfect. Far from it. Some are actually pretty problematic. But it still kinda works. There is so much wonderfully charming and engaging weirdness in Deadly Premonition. But you probably already knew that because the game is so notorious. Still, it's good to know that years later, even after the birth of an indie scene with no shortage of bizarre games, its charms are still potent. But one of the strangest things I found about Deadly Premonition isn't the zany townsfolk, it's just how ambitious of a game it sets out to be. Greenville spans about 5 real life miles. Inside that space are rows of trees and a lot of empty space that leads to some of the most plain, drive to your next objective moments in video games. This is usually where those conversations with Zack take place. Between the trees and the empty road is a community of non-playable characters that live their lives in real time to the game's clock. They clock in, then clock out of work, and you don't have all day to get your objectives done. In my interest to find out how committed to the bit Deadly Premonition was, I decided to hang out outside the town's diner until closing, and sure enough, at closing time the head cook walked out of the restaurant and got into his truck and drove home. It's open-world design a la Sega Shenmue, one that tries to replicate the mundanities of everyday life in order to create a place that the player can buy into. It's also a design that often finds itself hyper-fixating on the smallest of details of living. In Shenmue, it's the costly capsule toys that somehow always grab your attention and the highly detailed convenience stores. In Deadly Premonition, it's having the ability to shave York's facial hair and having to do his laundry or else you'll receive a reduction in your FBI salary. Oh, and like Shenmue, it has minigames. Well, only one. Fishing. Even so, Deadly Premonition doesn't have the resources of a developer like Sega. It's a budget title, one with mighty goals that it just cannot fully reach. Perhaps it could have if it weren't so held back by the rigid definition of a video game in 2010. Whenever anyone talks about Deadly Premonition, they always talk about the murder mystery and everything connecting back to it. They usually fail to mention everything in between the mystery. They forget the repetitive shooting galleries that stand in your way of the next bit of story. As I alluded to earlier, the game has these combat instances in the third person against zombie-like enemies. Very reminiscent of Resident Evil 4, except without the diversity, challenge, or tension of that game. Also like Resident Evil 4, Deadly Premonition received a re-release that implements motion control via the PlayStation Move, named the Deadly Premonition Director's Cut. This is the version I played, and I take umbrage with the name because it gives the impression that someone at the game's developer thought, you know with this Director's Cut, we really have the opportunity to deliver on the vision for this game. And you know what I think would really push Deadly Premonition over the edge and enrich the experience? Making the player waggle around a wand to make combat take twice as long. I think that would be a great use of resources and worthy of upping the price of the game to 49 dollars 
Naturally, I turned that function off after an hour of experiencing its splendor. When the game's enemies are first introduced, stumbling and shrieking, I don't want to die, in a silly distorted voice, they are charming in the same way a cheesy B-level horror movie can be. But then you quickly find out that's all Deadly Premonition has. The same slow, unchallenging enemies that demand that you stop and take the time to get them out of your way as you make your way through the foggy combat hallways of the game. You always have enough ammo to take them down, you always have enough health items, and you're almost always left with this feeling that maybe your time could be put to better use. Which is so frustrating, because seeing everything else unfold in Deadly Premonition is at the very least interesting. It begs the question, why are these sections here? While playing the game, I could only come up with the answer of, it's a commercial video game, so they felt like they needed combat. Jumped to me getting ready to write this post, and while doing some light research, I stumbled upon an interview with Swery65, conducted by Polygon, which reveals that, sure enough, an early version of Deadly Premonition had no combat, and it was only introduced after the game's publisher requested it because it would not sell in the Western market if there weren't guns. How unbelievably frustrating is that? Imagine if instead of spending those resources on making truly abysmal combat sequences, Deadly Premonition's developers were given a better chance of being able to turn Greenvale into an actual space. To get a chance of filling it with more buildings, shops, and characters. To be able to add more minigames and focus on the detective side of the game. Perhaps find new ways in which the player could be given more agency in solving that mystery. What if they were just given the chance to make a focused and involved adventure game that really just went for it. But of course, that's not what Deadly Premonition is. It has heart, but it can be really hard to see it to the end. The sum of Deadly Premonition's parts is complicated. Its shortcomings, most of which are the result of great ambition not fully realized in uninteresting combat, frustrated me to the point of anger towards it at various points. It's also a game with a poor frame rate and low textures, but I don't really care about that. Still, I can't blankly, honestly tell you that I enjoyed playing Deadly Premonition. There were plenty of times where I wanted to quit, but now writing this from the city limits of Greenvale, I can't help but look back on the whole thing and feel nostalgic reminiscing on it. The endless screams of I don't want to die coming from enemies fade a bit into the background, and I instead clearly remember the inessential but intimate conversations with Zack as we drive through the pines. I remember the bizarre scenes where the game's awkward delivery and eccentric dialogue meet harmoniously to create a scene where the game spends five minutes to discuss how not eating a sandwich says something about one's moral fiber. At the same time, my issues with the game aren't too far away from the things I enjoy. Deadly Premonition is a game that teaches players that games can exist in the middle of the spectrum and still be worthwhile, perhaps even be important. Obviously, the quality of games isn't just binary. Things aren't just good or bad, but it's truly easy to forget that and just critique games in a knee-jerk manner. I certainly have done it, and I'm sure I will probably do it again. The elements that make Deadly Premonition good are just as potent as the elements that make it bad, and you can't really separate the two. Separating the two would be a dishonest take on Deadly Premonition. That's why I think players find Deadly Premonition so fascinating. It's why I feel like I needed to play it. Should you play it? Yes. Will you have a good time with it and get something substantial from it? If you've read up to this point, you should know the answer to that question, which would be somewhere along the lines of, I don't fucking know, but I sure hope so.
Hey there, and welcome to the newest edition of the article reads for the Rational Passions Best of List. This week, me and George Cruz Alvarez will be discussing his piece, Lost Oddities, Discovering Deadly Premonition. Yeah, this is a, it's a, this is a weird one. Uh, yeah. Hi, Logan. First of all, thank you for having me here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's weird, and I think, like, I think we've had this, I'm assuming, I haven't listened to, obviously, at this point, these are still in production, so mm-hmm. I haven't listened to any of these discussions, um, but a lot of these are, these are all older pieces, mm-hmm. so it's sort of going, it's a trip down memory lane, um, and it's weird, I think, like, you know, I, this writing isn't terrible, that's what I'll say, <laughs> I think this yeah, is definitely I, one of the best long-form pieces I've written. I really, like, you've written a lot of really great articles, um, and features and reviews and previews. Um, I, in particular, I think, um, I, well, that's not true, but like, I, in particular, at the very least, like, I really love your writing in particular and the way you tell stories in particular, George. I think it's like something that I kind of, I think, hits home with how I like to consume stories. Um, and this piece in particular, which I feel like is. It has to be the longest of the Lost Oddity pieces. It certainly feels like it's like the it most. It's like, definitely the longest. Yeah, two thousand two thousand words and some change. Yeah, like it, and it feels like that, but like in a good way. Where it feels like you're getting told like this really cool story, and you kind of go on this arc um, throughout the piece. Um, and so I like the minute it first came out, like I fell in love with this piece, and like I remember like tweeting about it and messaging everybody about it. like it's a piece I really still love. And when we first kind of came up with the best of list all that time ago. Uh, this is one of the pieces where we like we knew that we wanted to give a shout out to one of the Lost Oddities series, like nominees or kind of entries, and this is the one for me that I felt like I think is kind of the culmination in a lot of ways of what it's that certainly series like was. the last one. Yeah, like, I did the Need for Speed one, but that was more like it felt in spirit like what i wanted to do with that so it, it just fit in this but really this, this is sort of the season season yeah, finale yeah it, and it felt like that it felt like this was kind of what you've been building to right because you a because you've talked about doing this particular game for so long and b because it was so much longer and kind of more in depth and it, like it did feel like the fulfillment of like yeah a season finale kind of moment for lost oddities yeah i would agree with that it's certainly i think the most time a single piece of written work has taken me um i think so like maybe some of my creative writing back when i was younger and by younger i mean like 2015 <laughs> um but yeah because like, this uh this piece it, i wrote it in march of 2017 and like think about where as of like as video games where they were in 2017 where near where zelda where Horizon Zero Dawn, this is a time like, and I'm going to school and working. So I was, I had Nier and I had Zelda uh, on my shelf, but I couldn't play them because I committed to doing this. Uh, and it was a weird, it was, it was a very weird time where I was like, well, I committed to this uh, and I'm going to see it through. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I played through the entirety of the game. It's like 30 hours. Yes. Uh, so that on its own was like just a, a huge time sink. Um, and I'm like, well, and it's not a review, right? Like lost. That's the thing. Yes. Like yes. The, the, our feet back when we were more feature oriented, um, like there's not, not that reviews need a structure. Honestly, I, I like, and it's not like we try to follow a structure, but I think with these features, uh, at least I, I can speak for myself. I always challenged myself mm-hmm. to 
figure out a way to tell a story through the way I experience the game. Yes. And that's not going to be like, oh, the graphics are, they're not that great. I was like, okay, that is very true, but it's more complicated than mm-hmm. that. And because and Deadly Premonition is a complicated game. Uh, and when I'm thinking about what I want to do next, because we're going to do video features and, um, you know, uh, when I think about what I want to do next, I, I, I know what the game is. And rereading this, uh, I, I feel like a lot of the same ideas and feelings of really, like, being that Deadly Premonition is not a good game by any standard uh, metric, um, but it is fascinating uh, to see like how this put, like asking yourself how is this put together, the the choices they made, what was the set of circumstances that got them to this here, um, and there's and I don't want to spoil it, but there's definitely a game in like my mind that is very close to my heart. Um, that I feel the same way. Like this is one of my favorite video games of all time, uh, because of X reason, not because it's a good video game. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Yeah, like, but I love, but I love that you're getting ahead of something. I love, I love even just that kind of, like, clearly, I, I, I gave it like a rough pitch of what this is going to be. But now George's already like has me like 800 ideas and questions I want to ask. But we'll try to stay focused uh, and like give a brief overview of like. Because it is that thing of, like, if you'd come into IP in the last 15 months, I mean, like, since, like, the New Blood era, really, um, there hasn't been a Lost Oddities piece in that time, I don't think. Um, no, there hasn't been, no. And so, yeah, like, do you give, like, a, it's like a brief pitch of what Lost Oddities kind of was and what kind of the, the thesis statement of that series of articles and features was, George, I guess. Sure. So, when... Alex, I think for like everyone, yes, even like, yes, everyone except Jess, uh, Alex's pitch when you sign up for him was like to like sort of like your uh, probationary period um, was like, give me a column or give me a beat that you will cover uh, and that you can commit to. Um, and for me, when I, oh man, I, I want, I, maybe we should pull up that fucking email I sent him, <laughs> like what my, that'll take too much time. But what I wanted to do, I was at a point, uh, where I was starting to realize like how much I love older video games. Mm-hmm. Um, just like the history, just the, I was fascinated with the, like the fact that these are games that exist, but the fact that they're old means that no one's talking about them. Um, and this is also the time where I was really really into giant bomb. this is 2016 so mm-hmm. this is about a year into gi- my giant bomb fandom uh and i think i realized that this is the thing for me like i'm i think i like, i started i stopped watching stuff like ign and GameSpot and like kind of funny uh i think i lo- i think i maybe did a low-key diss to kind of funny in my pitch originally um because i like i don't want to do just like I don't want to just do like the, what's the hottest thing. Let's just riff on the hottest thing. I, even like, and I think this mentality even came in when we made input. Logan was mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. I don't want to just do a bunch of guys hanging out giving hot takes on video games. Now I kind of want to because we, yeah, I, I think we've we, been we, in the zone you, of so long trying to be each, better. That's what's a funny thing about like input is the fact that like me and you each said we didn't want to do that. We didn't want to do that kind of show. We like we each want to do something a bit different, right? And then now we've kind of like come around the bend where it's like, actually, I kind of do want to like give some maybe hot takes, or just like talk about games in a way where we don't get to now. And like, it's, it is kind of funny how that started, but yeah. Yeah. Anyway. And so that's what, that's where Lost Oddities came. I was like, I'm going to, uh, 
look at it an, an old game that I think is interesting, and I'm going to try and make it interesting for the reader as well. Uh, and also take the context of when that game was released. Uh, and we sort of touch on that with Video Game Book Club. It's like, well, what what came out in the year this came out? What were, what were games? Where were games at when this came when this thing came out? And I think for a lot of, I would say, I, I'm pretty sure like that was like the starting of every Lost Oddities piece. Like, okay, this game came out X. This is what was happening around. This is where I was as a person around this time. Um, in like. Any, if any history with this game, I think with like this piece that I said, Daily Bevernition, I skimmed it before. Obviously, you just listened to an article read of me, listener, but I'm going to do that in the future in my in mine and Logan's timeline. <laughs> but I, I read it like this is always a video game that fascinated me because Daily Bevernition launched at $20 on the Xbox 360. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that was insane. Like, mm-hmm. we were at, like PS2, Xbox, GameCube era, that makes complete sense. But 360, PS3 era, games are too expensive to make. Um, so there's no way a game is going to come out cheaper than $30. Like 30 bucks is like, that's like the, the, the bargain bin. And so for a game to come out in $20 and for it to be horror, that immediately got my attention, but I wouldn't actually, um, revisit it fully until this piece. It's interesting for me to kind of segue away from the lost oddities, which if you, I mean, if you listen to this, you're listening to this, you should go back and read all of them. Um, because they're just they're so amazing it, like it's it is weird like because lost oddities were such a big part of like our time at iop i feel like like that like kind of era of ip which now feels like for like i don't know about you but like it for me it feels like, it was like forever ago it feels like it was so long ago especially um, when you think about like how much um we're in. Uh, I think in my mind, it, it, it the value of people's work is a is a thing that constantly that I'm constantly thinking about. Mm-hmm. Holy fucking shit, Alex O'Neill! If you're listening to this, the amount of time I spent <laughs> crafting, the amount of notebook paper, like I would just go to a Panera and I would just jot down feelings and ideas oh, and man. like topics, and then eventually put that into a piece somehow. Um, and that was mainly because how I was taught writing is like through creative writing. And it's like, well, um, I have a lot of ideas, but I don't know how to actually form them into a cohesive thing. So I'm just gonna like write it down. Um, but yeah, like, and that's not how we, and and right now I think it's also because for me personally, uh, the last two years, as much as we've like, we've grown, Mm -hmm. um, it's been like. I, I I just haven't had the time. Lost Oddities died mostly because I didn't have the time in my life to fit it in, and we had to we had to pivot into something else and mm-hmm. uh, use our skill sets towards uh, things that made more sense for us as an organization that wanted to grow. I, th- I think it's the best way. Yes, I would describe it. Uh, and like you said, look, this is a time where, like I feel like we were like we wanted to like every one of our pieces we wanted to be like fucking bam because we, yes. we wanted people to take notice of us right yes. uh even though it's just ip like who really cares um i mean at least the in the grand scheme of things but i think when i started and i still care about this uh con- this like little organization we have here um but you know like alex o'neill like he gave us a shot and i wanted to make the most of that opportunity um it's interesting to kind of go down that angle in the way that because again you are I feel like our kind of arc with IP is the most, I mean, we're tied together for like, we're very much like tied together. Like we're our era started like the exact same time. 
And so we've been around to see kind of the growth and change in a way that literally no other people have in like in terms of our actual kind of arrows here. And so it is very much that thing of like you talking about that is like, yeah, it is like thing of that 20, when we first got started, that first maybe like six months to basically up until PAX East 2017, I feel like is when it kind of changed a little bit. Um, it was very much a thing of like, yeah, like trying to every piece like hit a home run kind of thing, try to like hit the head on the nail, mm-hmm. just kind of knock it out of the park. And it was interesting because we didn't meet face to face either um, until PAX East 2017 when we finally met face to face because neither one of us were at Extra Life that year. And so it's. We didn't meet PAX East 2017, Logan. Did we not meet at PAX East we 2017? We met at Extra Life. Did, we not, did you not go to PAX East? Oh, shit. I did you not. Didn't. Remember, we had this conversation shit. in Slack every, recently. Every year, yeah. That's who right. got the rocket strap instead of me? Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 I didn't yeah, yeah. go. Um, but but Pax I was really hurt, Alex. I, now that you're listening to this again, this is like I feel like these uh, article reads because we're talking about the creative process of making them. Yeah. Um, it, it, it gives you a peek behind. Yeah. Uh, Alex, I'll just let you know that I was very hurt when you didn't consider me for that invitation. That's all I, I'll say. And the I, reason was because I was I think this was a time where. Our communication channels yes, weren't as it was clear. Terrible. Yeah. It was uh, it was like Logan and I would write a thing. We mm-hmm. would send the draft to Alex, yeah. and it'd be like a month or yeah. more until we heard back. Until like we were ready to like go live with it. I do want to um, like I almost want to make this a little bit into a conversation. Uh, like because I feel like it's a unique way to talk about like that kind of era. Sure. Of Eventually, got to talk about Delhi Premonition. Yeah, hundred percent. But like it is interesting because like it is that thing of like you probably in the same boat where it is messaging Alex being like yo like don't forget like or like but doing like a nice way of being like hey just in case you don't like forget like I did send you this draft of this piece like maybe like if you want to check it out it'd be great like if not like and then like this weird way of trying to figure out like that thing right because like obviously now our relationship with both Alex and IEP is fundamentally different but like it was like that being started and that being like created there and and Jarrett not really being on, yeah. like, yeah. Jarrett didn't Jarrett, come on board all the way until maybe, like, like again, like, he came back from retirement. Yeah, like, Jarrett, <laughs> it's the thing is, like, Jarrett didn't really come back on board. Like, his kind of starting to come back on board was... Late 2017? Yeah, like, it, it started at PAX East, I would say, when he was there. Because he didn't go to the PAX East before that. And that's the thing, like, that's why I say, like, PAX East 2017 is where, like, I felt like it started to change, become a bit more together. But the big one for me is that, like, Extra Life 2017 is where, like, it became a thing. Um, and, like, before that, for sure, but, like, Extra Life Zero was, like, this is this is the product kind of thing. And so that's a long time before then, even whether it's Extra Life or PAX East, where me and you were still writing and figuring it out. And if certainly at the beginning, too, like, it was that thing of... I was very much... Like, I can't speak to you at all, but, like, I was very much spurred on by you in particular. And it's interesting to note... And only Georgia appreciated this too. Like, we were not the only two people who were brought on board at that time either. No, we were not. And that's the thing. Like, Yusuf McGee was also brought on, but then there was also a fourth other person whose name I can't remember right now, but who did like two or three articles at that time period as well. And so there were four of us all at once brought on board, basically. And so it was a thing of like competing against everybody else. Um, at least in my head, like I had, to, like I had to stand out there because so there was so much competition all of a sudden, and because I was given this opportunity, right? Like I had to make the most of what, like this opportunity I was given, this chance I kind of had, 
And so do you, when you're out here saying like, I had to make sure it was a bam, like it, like I crushed it kind of thing. It was like, fuck, that's exactly how I felt. Like I had to nail everything. And every time when we lost audience came out, I was like, God damn it. George is so good. Like he's just like knocking this out and it's so good. And like this one, which is like the culmination of that, um, is like such a good piece. And like, we can, we can veer away from early days of IP history, I guess a little bit, but like, it is so weird to think about like how different the site was. And that feels again, like that was 10 years ago, honestly. It and really be, does feel like 10, like, and then like be, these memories, like, man, that happened God, like only like three two, years ago. Yeah, huh? like t- two or three years ago kind of thing. Right. And it's like, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Cause like how much we like the pre slack days of IP are yes, like a hellish nightmare um, <laughs> in terms, like in terms of communication. Cause like we even had a like IP editorial channel, like IP, editorial twitter thread um that was the four of us in it but like to your point Jarrett was like half in retirement still at that point in time and half out and then it was me and alex and it was just it just wasn't it fam um and it didn't really come together until like before and after extra life and during extra life um and really like input i think helped a lot too like that yes it did that launch was huge in terms of like again like a new era of ip kind of happening Certainly communication wise, but yeah, it was a god, yeah, that was a weird, it was a weird era. But yeah, we'll talk about Deadly Premonition, um, because it's a game that I've never played that I've always been incredibly curious about, which I think is part of the reason why I love this piece too. Um, I feel like Deadly Premonition was almost like the white whale for you in terms of lost oddities. Like, I felt like this was like. It was a thing pretty much that you talked about, like yes. you'd want to do for a while. And so, like, building up to that des- and playing through it. I would describe it as a weird Japanese PS2 game that instead of getting published by an American distributor on the mm-hmm. PS2, got a 360 and PS3 release. Like, and, and, like, those, like, just that PS2 layer is my shit. But the fact that it came out when it did makes it even the more fascinating. But I also had a hard hard time approaching this and i remember telling alex like this has been done to death like everyone knows deadly premonition like everyone knows it like it is a thing like it it, it made its creator like it rose it rose him to like a sort of a uh, cult figure in our industry um but even like but i was thankfully even playing it i was still able to glean something at least i'd like to think that i came at it from a different perspective or, or at least when when I played it, I wasn't I wasn't falling on on cliches. Like I was trying my best to like write it as is like I've never read anything, I've never heard anything about Delhi Premonition. This is just how I feel about this game. Um and you know, like watching some Twin Peaks to get context for that. Um That's the but, thing, is that like because again as somebody who doesn't have that connection to the premonitions, how Twin Peaks is it? It seems like it's very Twin Peaks. Oh, it is unbelievably Twin Peaks. It's it's just straight up ripoff, kind of almost. <laughs> um, it really is. Uh, I listened to a lot of the Twin Peaks soundtrack while writing this piece. Um, but yes, it is straight up. It is just straight up. But so that's. I guess I kind of want to focus there a little bit in the terms of like the kind of the bizarre, idiosyncratic nature of Twin Peaks and the premonitions and. I think the small town nature of it can't be kind of forgotten enough. Like what, like, I guess what, 
has made you love this game for so long that is like it has like this in in view of like its flaws that you kind of recognize are there in view of like the things you recognize aren't great about it whatever but like what draws you to Deadly Premonition in a way that I think most other games don't kind of hit for you like to this level this way where you have to just talk about it like this do you think do you mean like before going in or like after i mean in general just in general like what what do you love like what makes you love daily permissions i don't love the game i i i like it uh i think coming in uh it was my original story like it is a 20 dollar like game like what the fuck is this thing and then it it made like a legacy and then i played it and once i started playing i was like man if i didn't commit to doing this i there's no way in hell i would have seen this through really mostly because and and i talk about in the piece piece, it's the stuff in between that like makes it terrible and then once i finished the game i don't know if i wrote this in the piece i realized there is a fast travel but it's hidden through this one way and the game never explains it you don't have to drive around all over the place but since since that was such a point of conversation for everyone else i assumed there must be no fast travel so i just drove and it made it so bizarre that like and i mentioned shenmue in the piece like that they were that this the team that made this would commit to the bit so hard of like no this is a real small town man you're like in it you like have to like drive around and like talk to people and this guy and on top of it, it being so strange it very much feels like uh a tourist like idea and, and i don't want like i don't want to sound like um i don't know what the term is but like give them enough credit because if from the surface it feels like some like uh an outsider an outsider's take on what small town America is. Yes, uh, it very That's much it feels like. that way. Uh, who's like also through the lens of Twin Peaks on top of that. So it is just weird on top of weird. Like it, like there's so many modifiers in realizing this game. Uh, so I, I don't think I. L- it is just that case that makes me. It's so fascinating that it is. So many elements for this thing to come to America. I think if this if this game stayed in Japan, I don't think any of us would have cared. I, I think people would have cared, but like to the level that like people care about something like Clock Tower, or to the level that somebody cares about uh, something like Kadelka, and I don't know if you know what that is, or something like D. Like it is this small weird game, and like once you get to like five, like seven layers of video game nerddom, you finally like run into it. But this Deadly Premonition is pretty surface. Mm-hmm. Like you don't have to go very far to hear who Sweary sixty five is, uh, and then you're like, well, who's that guy? Like oh, he made Deadly Premonition. Like oh, it's this fucking weird ass game, um, and that's why it's so fascinating to me. Um, I think having finally, I I I, dis- I took it upon myself to write two thousand words mm-hmm. about this, what should be this PS two game mm-hmm. that nobody should give a shit about. Uh, but I played it and I'm here to tell you about it, uh, in the best way that I can, that I can tell you a story about my experience of what this game was. I think for me too, it's, it's the way that the thing about Deadly Premonitions in this piece, and I think your feelings about it that I love is the fact that it, it, even the first freaking cover engine I'm looking at now, um, is the way that this this game is just so different i feel like to really anything else like to your point like it is a game that 
almost people shouldn't care about. Like, if it had been Japan, it wouldn't have been. Like, it's a game that is just weird on so many levels. And, like, as the two, like, IP guys who are from, like, smaller-ish towns, um, or certainly, like, smaller, like, in the middle of nowhere towns, like, I think this is kind of being, like, Omaha for you right now when you're writing this piece. And obviously, Nixon, Missouri, for me, when I'm writing my piece at the same time period, um, are tiny towns in the middle of the country. Um, and so I feel like it's it's bizarre to kind of get this like look of like, well, we know what smaller towns are like. We're just like towns. <laughs> We've been to a small town before, Daily Premonition, um, and like the weird Japanese Twin Peaks inspired, like bizarro version of that. Um, I find just like endlessly compelling. Like this is so my I guess an interesting question selfishly now, personally, do you think if I would have played Deadly Premonition, I would enjoy my time with Deadly Premonition, George? Absolutely not. I don't think so okay. at all. I think if you were tasked like the task I was given yeah. was to like you have to write about it, um then I, then I think you would come up with something really interesting. Um but like I said, like I, I didn't you didn't want, want to finish the game because again i have near and i have zelda yeah but i'm glad i played it at the end right it's a weird thing yeah because like, like now that i played it like and, and and i played it and i was forced to sit down with my thoughts and write two thousand words about it and it, there's an amount of respect i have for that game right because it challenged me like in every way right it, it challenged me creatively and it challenged my patience mm. and it challenged it challenged me like what like, what is it about video games that I find so interesting? Um, and it's the fact that, like, you know, people made... I've, and I've had this for a while. And again, I, I keep teasing the thing that I want to talk about in some form. In 2019, in Irrational Passions, we're going to talk about it. Um, but the fact that somebody made this, and the fact that I'm playing it, and the, the, the fact that I have to write 2,000 words about it, um got me to the point where i'm like yes deli premonition is a hell of a video game with the biggest asterisk and i don't think anybody i don't think you logan if you played it through on your own time uh would enjoy it um it's a fucking it's a weird thing it's a weird thing it uh, it seems like i don't know like i find myself in a spot where i feel like i would actively not enjoy my time with it but i also feel like it could be one of those weird games that like I, Logan Wilkinson, am not supposed to like, but, like, I end up liking anyway. Like, again, that doesn't feel like it's a Logan game, but it ends up, like, enjoying my time with. But it is also a thing of, like, but also, I guess, I have even less incentive to play it in this after, It's, like, I'm even, like, I'm too removed from when this came out. But, like, it is definitely a game I've had my eye on for a long time. Right. And it was uh, even it was there was even like a novelty to it like as I fully yeah. committed to the bit I was like I'm gonna use if this PS3 version has motion control I'm gonna play that and also the PS3 version is the worst version of that game it runs like mm. 15 frames per second and I'm playing with motion controls it just feels like this bizarro thing like let me ask you the, the important question here how terrible is it driving from place to place in comparison to Grand Theft Auto San Andreas and in between the towns in that game. Oh, that's fun though. No, man. it's not. I don't it's know. not. Like you have the radio on. Maybe it's because I'm thinking about like young child. Well, I mean, we played at the same age. We I, same I thought age. those. I thought those. I thought those moments were like a very relaxing. Um, I love driving in GTA Three and Vice City a lot. We're in the, all in the same city. But the, my issue with San Andreas has always been that that map was too big for that game. 
because when you then leave like Los Santos and have to drive to like San Fierro, for example, that's a long drive. Sure. You're driving through a lot of stuff and not like, cause like you're in the middle you're of the You're staying woods. in that area for a yes. fucking minute. If you- yeah. And it like, and then also the fact that like when you drive across the bridges in that game, it's like a loading screen. Um, cause they load in the whole new city basically there. And so it's like a lot, or even like San Fierro to like the Vegas knockoff is almost worse because you're just driving through the desert. <laughs> like that's one where it's like, they don't even have like any secrets. It's just like, you're in a desert and you maybe will find area 51, but maybe you won't. It is definitely worse than that. A hundred percent. Okay. Interesting. It is. I would say it's like about the trip from, uh, uh, from what, what is the first neighborhood you're in? Oh shit. It GTA. Yeah, what's that? Is that is in that San Andreas? San, is it San Andreas? And are we talking about that game? Like the like where you start that first area Grove where Street? CJ's hood is. Yeah, it would say it's about the Grove Street area. Okay. If you were to drive from there to the Sticks, I forget the name of that place. Okay. But it is about that distance for sometimes just one mission objective. Like it is Jesus. fucking wild. Like it is like seven minutes. Seven How big minutes is the map to, in Deadly Premonition. I don't know, but it it just because you like you, there's only like every vehicle goes the same speed. You're not gonna like <laughs> you're not gonna take a jetpack. Like that's also like stuff I would do in San. You're not gonna find a cheetah. Cheat code the jetpack and just fly over there. Um, you can't do that in Deadly Premonition. You just have to drive, oh, uh, and you're going like 50 miles per hour. Um, and this is a game that takes itself very seriously. So it's like. It's like, like it's like you almost it feels like you're driving like seven miles almost uh, to get there. It really does feel that way. Um, and so there's something that's that other layer, like being that it's like, man, this is like a bizarre fucking trip of a video game, man. Like, what the hell? Uh, it really does feel like you let this creative type just like go all out with their thing. Like, no, it has to be fucking like the it's Hideo Kojima. Like, the disc has to fucking explode when the player loses. Whatever the fuck. Um, yeah. I think for me, ultimately, the way you described that, the way you described your experience with this game, I loved best when you just kind of said like, it's it's kind of fine. It's me finding a way to talk about games. And me kind of finding that love of games, even games like this, and kind of the creative process behind it, I really love. And I think that shines through in this piece. It is. I think so. Yeah, that's the thing I'm yeah. most proud of reading back at it. Like, and I, I think that's very clearly embedded throughout this piece. And I think this is also... It's interesting that we started... My Playboy piece started... It was the mm-hmm. start and this is the end. Because a thing I realized halfway through writing uh, Lost Oddities... Was that a thing that I learned, uh, like way back? Like video games are made by people, mm-hmm. um, and it's easy to make an easy joke at someone's expense. Yeah. And I think with the Playboy piece, I definitely did that. And I think by the end of Deadly Premonition, it was all like, listen, like, really, like every video game is kind of fascinating. Like I, I, I try to like I think about a lot. And for the listeners at home, I hope this doesn't sound like me just fucking ego stroke job, just philosophizing here or philosophize. Yeah, exactly. Philosophizing. But like, I try to think sometimes like when I was a little kid, every fucking video game was magical. Like this yeah. is a fucking world. What the fuck? Right. Um, and when I approach it that way, like the items, like the stuff that is in the video game, like it is, it is a thing realized. 
Um, and when I looked at that with Deli Premonition, and I think of like, man, there are so many small bits in here. Just like this model of this kid, like the fact that you have to like take a shower or like you do worse in the game, you have to shave or you do worse in the game. Like something about that is just fascinating to me. And I could also just make a joke like, oh, dumb fucking video game, oh, can't shave, blah, blah, blah. because I definitely made those sort of low jokes with the Playboy piece. Um, and I think once I came back to Daily Premonition, I, I stood down and like, why is this game, like, why do I find this game actually interesting? Like, why, like, actually sit down and like, like, ruminate on my thoughts uh, and complex feelings. And I think that like, even reading back, I'm like, man, good, good work, George. You, like, this is like, to get to that point where like it's um where i look at everything um sort of like having a bigger picture i guess um and i and i, I do that with a, i try to do that like even like things i also think about it like with our with service work um i always try to be the nicest person possible because i don't know what what that person is going through on the other end yeah um and just playing like that premonition like i don't know how this thing like Clearly, they could have, if they wanted, if they could afford better graphics, they would have done better graphics. If they could afford a frame rate that was better than 15 frames per second, they probably could have. But I'm, I am stuck with this here, and it is affecting the rest of it in a fascinating way. Uh, let's talk about it. I love that. I mean, this is going to be the most like in response, but I, I absolutely love everything about what you just said. And how, and how like, and how, like weirdly like this game and and like the lost oddities i think are congenital to that point like i think helped you grow i think in terms of like your kind of almost like critical stance on games but more like almost more important like how like you view games as like a thing that is like i'm using air quotes here but like also not air quotes and, like games like as art as things that are being made by people right? like as like and i think it is I don't know, like, surprisingly, some might say, um, difficult to kind of understand that games are made by, like, actual human beings yes. and not made by, like, magic pixie fairies. And we all, every one of us, everybody that's ever played a game doesn't understand that at first. Like, when we first play a game, we don't really kind of understand the concept that they're made by, like, humans. We don't, because you're, like, usually you're a kid, you don't really kind of understand that. And eventually you kind of, or hopefully you kind of understand that they are made by people who, like, put in a lot of their lives into this. A lot of blood yeah. sweat and tears like i'm thinking of this in the like context of like greg miller having just sent out like a really long twitter thread about a game and how like every game it's made somebody spent right. time away from yes. their loved ones and all this stuff and it's like yes. somebody a lot of people put a lot of time away from their families to make deadly Premonition or the playboy game or any game that's bad even like again it could be great it could be the last race it could be deadly Premonitions. it could be something not good it could be yakuza kwame too um but like they put a lot of their heart and soul and efforts released and time at released into. And I think what I've always really, really, really respected and admired and loved about you, but in particular about your writing and about your kind of critical opinions and thoughts is that you always try to, I think, remind other people of that opinion and try to bring that yeah, to the forefront. Yeah, it's an annoying thing. I, I realize I do because I do it in but input it, all the time. I do it, it on input. It's one of my of absolute favorite qualities, Reese. Because <laughs> it, it is, it is you being like, yeah, but these are like people, like they're like they're people Let's who like check ourselves made before we wreck thing. ourselves, right? Here, yeah, folks. it's like we can definitely find time to like dunk on something and like make fun of something and like 
get like messy or whatever about something i guess like if it deserves it but like also like at the end of the day like most games probably don't deserve just be like dunked on for no reason like Mm -hmm. most games have like a most games have something good in them like like really ultimately something like almost every game has something good in it most games aren't just like garbage terrible fires like most games have some sort of redeeming quality or something interesting about something something that can be talked about in like an actual intelligent articulate manner and Deadly Premonition is full of bad ideas and full of mistakes and full of flaws, but it's also full of really cool, interesting things happening, really cool ideas and, like, things that might not be, like, perfectly executed on, but, like, also, like, still raise, like, questions and conversations. And I think that I've never ceased to be, like, amazed by the ability to find the good in that and find the ability to remind people that they are still made by people and that these are, like, like any work of art quote unquote like is inherently flawed in the sense that no art is perfect because it's all subjective it's all in the eye of the beholder and like some there are people out there who love this video game who love to the premonition right and like i think i appreciate the fact that you like you try to kind of remind us of that or see that at least like kind of try to see what maybe they well like what they love in it even if you ultimately want to agree with it you try to see like maybe I can find that maybe all of it too. Maybe I won't, but like at least I'm going to try to see where they're coming from about that. And like your ability to try to kind of, I think connect with people like that and also try to connect them to the people who make the games and whose lives have been affected by the game in that manner. Um, I really love. And I think this piece is one of the strongest cases of that. And another case I would say that is in a different manner is the other piece on the best shelf list, which is the ghost Miami piece, which I think you do from a different angle about people who are affected by video games. And I think you have a unique strength as that, right? And like uh, George, in case you're listening, is on the end of this call in Nebraska, just like adamantly shaking his head probably and not like not here for how much I'm just complimenting him right now. <laughs> but yeah, I, but I do think that you have a really like among the four of us, even among in terms of senior staffers who are all on the best of list here, like the strongest ability to just kind of remind us of kind of the humanity that is making these things. Um, and this piece, I think, does that very, very well. And so that's what I would say is like a final nod to this piece into your writing ability, right? Like how much you've grown in particular, right? Because it is a thing of, I love your Playboy piece anyway. Um, but from that to where you end Lost Oddities here is like an incredible period of growth. And you just constantly, I think, challenging yourself to do better and to kind of think cleverer, which isn't a word, but is a very Logan thing to say. And to kind of keep expanding on what you're doing to keep kind of evolving and not like rest on anything because a because you're terrified that you're like not going to deserve the opportunity um because i definitely felt that when i was doing these things and writing these things but b because you want to be better b because you want to prove that you deserve it and not just that you want to prove that you deserve it, but like prove that you like you are like really good enough to do this and like you can knock it out of the park right and like i do find it interesting that like each of our last pieces that we kind of did from this era um are both in the best of lists in terms of this piece and then for me it's the organ trail piece where we kept kind of i think evolving and refining that from until we got to that point um and i think that both of us collectively probably think that we are substantially better writers than we were from these pieces two years ago and i think both of us probably think that neither one of these are our best or favorite pieces i don't i can't speak to you for this but organ trail is not my favorite piece that i've written but I also think that we each kind of take a, a certain level of pride in, or I like to think that a certain level of pride in them and like where we were to where we kind of ended that period with IP and our writing styles. 
Um, cause it, it is, it is a hell of a piece, I think. And I hope everybody listened to, you literally just read it to them. Um, but also read it as well. Uh, see that cause it is, is very good, George. Mm-hmm. If nothing else, I'd like to think now that like looking back on it, uh, and I don't, th- I, I don't know. I know if I'm going to say I'm never going to write anything that long. Uh, I think it's just the last year and a half of like, even though IP yeah. has grown so much, I've also done it sort of handicapped because of school and stuff. Um, so I just haven't had the time to do something else like this. I say that it's only been like two years since it's I wrote It's interesting because I feel like I, I almost might want you to do the, the Oregon Shell piece with me. Because I feel like there, me and you have a lot of similarities just in general in this, in like again in like arcs, but like it's interesting because I feel like your relationship with Lost Oddies almost mirrors my relationship with Oregon Shell. But like I'm Oregon Shell's in my, not one of my least right, but like I have a lot of issues with the Oregon Shell piece. Um, in terms of like things that I think could have been done better and like a lot of flaws I recognize. And again, like the, the running joke that like is only half a joke is the fact that like, I think the Rocket League piece, which is spoiler also going to be in the best of list. Um, I think that's significantly better than the Oregon Trophies and I actually don't like the Oregon Trophies a lot, but having had this commission with you, I recognize that it's an important piece, um, in terms of like kind of the arc of our collective growth. Um, and I know that you've had your own kind of things you've said about lost oddities but i hope you still that's very like at least like do respect and appreciate that time period and like love these pieces of what they kind of were in the moment and how like they can help you grow over time because they are really neat they are really cool and they are like very different than like really anything else or most other things certainly that have kind of been writing about that's what I yeah I think that's how I feel about it now. It's weird, but it feels yeah. like such a long time. But yeah. it sort of feels like the paying your dues. Yes. Uh, yes. Or at least like getting over um, just being in this mode, right? Like, as I think for a lot of folks, uh, and, and we need to end this podcast. Yes, but we're in the. Uh, uh, at this point, when I joined IP, I was already in the mode like I am committed. I, I can do this regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was also like I can do this regularly and like challenge myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and right now I'm right now it's the most like resting on my laurels, but it's just because like I said, I'm handicapped because yeah. of life. Um, but yeah, no, but no. that's what I would say. Um, George is very talented. He's a, he's a beautiful boy. Um, so everybody read this piece and listen to it. You already listened to it. You had no choice. If you've gotten this far into the podcast, you've listened to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but please, I don't know if we're going to, I don't know, like subscribe, share this I don't, know if ha- the f- I don't know if we're going to have it in a separate RSS feed or anything either, but if it is, subscribe to it, like it, whatever. Go on um, Twitter.com. Here's what I want you to do. Okay. Go yeah. on Twitter.com. Do it. Say that Irrational Passions has great videos and great written mm-hmm. articles, but they also have this extra bonus feed where they do article reads and yes. stuff. If you don't have time to read, yeah. do tweet something like that. Let us know- let people know that this feed's out there mm-hmm. because this, this project sort of like – um, and like, like I said, now that I'll have more time, this is certainly an idea that I love, but yeah. it's just been sort of like the bottom the bottom thing that we put out just because just it's, because of life. It's interesting too because I think we all, we all could be better at things at IP. Uh, but this is an, this is one of the things that like I objectively love this idea of article reads and just like talking about the pieces written free to be written. Um, and I will be the first to give just all sorts of like credit to Quinn for this idea. Cause it is Quinn's idea and I absolutely love this idea. Um, and I've, I, it's, I'm such a cheerleader of it. Um, 
we're doing one of these for every one of the features in the best of list, all 10 of the things. Maybe nine, we're still figuring out what we want to do for the one video kind of feature on that list. Um, but it is a really cool idea. I love it. I think it's a great way to promote these kind of pieces from kind of the history of IP in a lot of ways, right? And the most recent one is still from over a year ago. Um, and I really like this idea. I think it gives you a better look into kind of who we collectively are as a team um, and where we came from and where we are now. Um, thank you so much, George, for being a part of this. Yep. Thank you to Alex and Jared for also taking part and being a part of this as well. Also, Yusuf, who has a feature on the Best of List as well. Shout out to him. Um, and thank you for listening. And until next time, uh, I will blatantly rip off one Alex Neal and say, play your games and stay rational. <laughs>